You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to the 602 Club, Track of M's local watering hole, and I am just one of the hosts here, I'm Matthew Rushing, and with me, as she is every single week, Star Wars baby, Christy Morris. Hello, or actually, hey. should I say, um, hello, good sir. <laughs> How art thou? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited to talk about this. Yeah, this one is going to be very, very fun, and so... um yeah, it it really, I, you know, seeing the trailers for this movie, I was uh, definitely piqued my interest um, because of the whole setup and everything. But I am excited to dive into it specifically too with you, because as nerdy as I am, there are parts of nerd them that I am not necessarily a part of, but you are. So I'm really excited because I think you will be able to add a lot of context that I don't even have, which is great. So, Hey, and that's what I'm here to do. We balance each other out. That's right. That's right. Our nerdiness, you got to balance each other yeah. out. So, um, <laughs> Before we dive into talking about Pixar's brand new film, Onward, um, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, make sure you are hitting us up on Apple Podcasts, giving us that star rating review. Um, Christy, I don't know if you knew, but we got a brand new star review there. Um, five-star review and it said this podcast is just like a swarm of venomites of dragabon exhilarating and off the chain cray cray they gave us five stars so that we really appreciate that mr nod and um if um if you'd like to help out the show go to apple podcasts and give us a star rating and review and uh help other people find the show so thank you so much for doing that um yeah of course you. you can find yeah, yeah, it's been a while. It had been a while. So you can find us wherever you get your podcast, though, and make sure you're subscribed and you'll get the show as soon as it drops. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at TrackFM. We're also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrackFM. So like and follow us in both of those places. We've got listeners only discussion group called the Babel Conference there on Facebook where you can talk to listeners from all over the world about all the different shows happening here on TrackFM. And last but not least, we've got the associate producers here through Patreon. Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millette, and Daniel Noah. really want to say thank you to these gentlemen for supporting the 602 Club each and every week through Patreon, as well as the entire network. Uh, it costs a lot, as you can imagine, to put out this many shows as we do here on Trek FM. And we honestly need your help. Um, and so um, you can go over to patreon.com slash trekfm, uh, and there are different contribution levels you can give at with some amazing perks. But in the end, honestly, every little bit helps. And so go over to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can be part of our team. So onward, Christy. Uh, we're putting it in an O for onward. And um, one of the things that's really from the trailers and then even to seeing the movie that really kind of stuck out to me with was this is kind of a whole new world where the setup is, is this is a world where magic and mythology exist 
Like, and mm-hmm. everything in this world is mythological, um, as if that's the world. And so, um, and in the setup too, this is this is a world that's moved kind of beyond magic to things that they found easier to to do, which was um, like electricity. And so, basically, it's a world of mythical magical creatures that hardly use magic anymore up to this point. So it was a really fascinating idea to me to create this type of world. Right. Like it it's sort of I love how it begins almost like a storybook of like a once upon a time there was magic. And then it does get to this point of talking about how now they've transitioned from sort of the way that I guess hipsters might say we don't do things the old fashioned way anymore. It, it's saying that, you know, that. OK, boomer. <laughs> you shush. Uh, and so they've moved hey, on. I'm the only boomer. I, well, I guess You're I'm not, not a, boomer. a boomer, so no, I'm a, I'm a Gen uh, Gen Xer, so but I'm I'm close enough, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I I can identify with that too. I think that there are some really wonderful things that can be done the old fashioned way or the the more difficult way, and you get more interesting results than if you went with the easy way. So I like mm-hmm. that that's a big premise of the whole story. The easy button. <laughs> yeah. And uh and I like that they go this route as well of um really focusing on a world that's a lot like a fantasy already. Mm-hmm. It's it is very Lord of the Rings. It almost kind of the the homes at, at first look like Hobbiton a little to me. Mm-hmm. And then when they transition, it becomes much more modern looking in like a suburban neighborhood. But I, I love how it starts out and it really does make you feel like you're part of this um, otherworldly experience of fantasy and things are ancient and then they transition. Um, and like you were mentioning, the other part of nerddom that is throughout this entire movie is Dungeons and Dragons references. Yeah. There are a lot of those, which is fun because, like, you're our resident expert in Dungeon and Dragons because you and your husband play. So, um, I just wanted to kind of ask, you know, in this world creation, were they pretty true to the Dungeons and Dragons lore and uses of things like the gelatinous cube? Yes, it it actually felt like I was dying to know if the writers were actually players themselves because they seemed to know D&D so well. Because mm. and it is also a beginner may not necessarily know of a gelatinous cube. So that's something that's a little more advanced that they threw in, but it it's it relates to D&D anyway just because of the kind of storytelling it is because Lord of the okay. Rings and yeah. D&D yep, are very yep. similar. But uh, they came in and then added all of these creatures that you would see in a D&D game, like the manticore, centaurs, the goblin that was the pawn shop owner, um, pixies, a cyclops, um, and then even having a dragon. <laughs> you know, I mean, you got to have a dragon. Right. Uh, but the, the biggest thing that stood out to me also, because I've played magic wielding characters, is that Ian, the main character, becomes a wizard. And that he has to go through practicing, or in D&D, as we would call it, preparing your spells. And so you're learning how to wield them, and that the more 
you level up in D&D or in the movie experience you gain, you can do the more advanced spells later. But I love how his brother is like, you can't just immediately decide to do arcane lightning. Yeah. I mean, I, that's the thing I thought was, was I mean, obviously pretty smart about the movie is is that whole sense of of giving the the younger son Ian these powers, right, to to be connected with magic still. And I I did like that it was not something that was easy. Mm-hmm. You know, like he he definitely had to work his way into it. Um and I just thought, I thought that was really cool. Um and I, I you know, like this whole like building this world, it was just so fascinating to see, you know, we we always have uh, I feel like a like in Harry Potter, you know, they might live in the modern world, but the wizarding world is still very much um, uh, living in a completely different way, right? right? You know, and whereas all of these magical beings have gone to just being normal is what we would consider like they fly on planes and you drive know, they, cars. they have cars, mm-hmm. yeah, and all that kind of stuff. And it was just so interesting because... It kind of made me think uh, of, I don't know if you know that Miranda Lambert song, uh, Automatic. Um, mm-hmm. And there, the, the lyrics in her chorus say a couple of interesting things where, because when everything is handed to you, it's only worth the time put in. And it all just seems so good the way we had it before, back before everything became automatic. Mm-hmm. And it was just so interesting to watch the beginning of this movie. You know, it sets up the story of how this world went from being a, a magical place to being kind of a boring place. Um, and part of that had to do with people gravitating towards what was easier um, yeah. rather than what took work, you know, or uh, and it may have ultimately been better because there's something about um what we lose when we you know get lazy basically um and so i just thought that was a really fascinating thing to see them kind of play with in this world that um you know maybe by losing things from our past that way that we're losing parts of ourselves too because yeah this whole yeah, because by the end of the movie, like, how many things... I mean, they've changed pixies, you know? Pixies are now flying again, you know? Uh, centaurs are now running instead of using cars. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, we're get, they're getting back to the way they were made to be. And I just thought that was a kind of a really interesting thing to talk about in this movie, you know, and portray that there are things that maybe we've lost through all this automation that there's things that we've lost through all of this technology there there are things that we're missing and part of that is like a connection to who we really are but also a connection to each other in some ways and so i just thought that was a really cool thing for a kid's movie to be talking about and to talk about it in such a palatable way for kids to understand by literally showing you Mm -hmm. he's trying to create a fireball versus i can flip a switch and, you know, it, it's exactly what you're saying, Matt, about how you are kind of losing a bit of yourself, because if you think about something like letter writing versus email, there's so much, yeah. I think, lost tone wise that you could convey better in a handwritten letter because of the way you're writing it than you can do with type. So, I, I yeah, I absolutely mm. agree. Yeah, well, and and just even thinking back to the lyrics of the songs, like, uh, you know, 
the idea that uh, something is only as good as the time put in, you know, mm-hmm. and and so I think about that in context of the movie and kind of the journey that we end up going on, right? Like the journey is the thing that, and the time put into that journey is the thing that helps make a change and not only these two boys on this journey but it has an impact on their mom it has an impact on their mom's boyfriend it has an impact on the pixies um and it has an impact on um the manticore Mm -hmm. you know like they change a lot of different lives by doing something difficult but something to which has um almost like a redemptive value to it, like to help them move forward in their lives. And yeah, that's just a really interesting thing. And so it would, the fact that, you know, by the end of the movie, Ian is a wizard um, makes me wonder then if, you know, other people would then begin to, in this world, they would begin to study magic again. Uh, And so I mean, that was just a fascinating question that I was left with. So to me, overall, I felt like, you know, them creating this whole new world where, you know, mythology is is like real, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote. Um, but they've lost the they've lost that magic. They've lost that love and feeling kind of almost. <laughs> um, and having that come back throughout the movie was really interesting, you know, to see them find that magic again. Yeah, it, it's like sort of a... um if you don't work hard for it, you don't appreciate it as much kind of mm-hmm. thing or, or the whole it's not about the destination. It's the journey along the way. It, it's all about really enjoying life itself for all of its pieces and not just trying to get to the end. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And how you get to the end also matters. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, that's that's really that's really good. You know. I, I, we were, we went and saw this movie with some friends and we were talking about it together. And, you know, one of the things that kind of struck me is that, you know, obviously Disney has, you know, have done different types of movies and and Disney had Frozen, right? You know, where it's the movie about the sisters and we have two of those now. Mm -hmm. And it felt like in many ways that this was Pixar's answer to that because this movie is really about father's and brothers and the connection between the two and the way that all works. And to me, that was just really fascinating to see um, that, that play out. And I really, I really enjoyed it. And so, um, yeah, the, the, the idea of like, you know, the importance of good male role models in a boy's transition from, you know, childhood to manhood, I thought was really cool to watch play out. Um, especially between uh, Ian and his brother Barley, because Ian comes to realize that his brother Barley has been way more to him than a uh, than just a brother. And I thought it was kind of a beautiful story in that way. Yeah, I, I think that they did an excellent job with using this as the focal point that everything else focuses or happens around. Because I think that for a Pixar movie or for any movie for that matter, to be good, it has to have some kind of pull at your heartstrings story that is central to it all. 
because otherwise it's just a lot of fluff with no meat to it. And so I, it, I don't know if you knew as well that this actually was inspired by the director's own personal life story. Oh, really? I did not know that. I did not read that. That's really cool. Yeah. Apparently when Dan Scanlon and his brother were ages one and three, their father passed away. And, mm-hmm. um, and then he found a recording of his dad's voice and that inspired him to not only write the story, but then also have that scene with the stereo in the movie. Mm, that that scene, man, whew, that was... Oh, it's heart-wrenching. <laughs> so, yeah, it really is. And it, it's just so well done, too, in, in that showing. And again, this is where that, it, it's showing that young boy who's on the cusp of manhood to have somebody there to teach him uh, what it means to be a man... And what I loved is the way in which the movie helps him see, that the, the journey helps him see that that role has been taken by his brother Barley. And, and the way in which his brother Barley has done that so selflessly for him. Like it, it hasn't even been a question for his brother whether or not he would do this or not. And I thought that was... That was something that I was not quite expecting because, you know, the way that the the previews make this look is that it's all about, you know, finding their dad. But what I I loved at this is this movie was was not just about finding their dad, but it was about finding each other in a new way. Um, And I thought that was really cool because in the end, you know, their their dad is is gone. Right. And and he would only be there for a day anyway. But by them going through this together, they actually find that they are more together than they thought. Um, and I really appreciated that message because, you know, one of the things that I, a lot of, of kids struggle with is, you know, they might not have a dad. Right. Um, but that there can be another role model in their life mm-hmm. that can take that place. And it could be a family member, like an uncle, a grandfather, a brother, you know, to be able to take on that role. Um, and that just because you've, you may have lost a father doesn't mean there won't necessarily be a father figure in your life, but that it's vitally important for young men to have a father figure in their life. Like, it it's mandatory for a boy to learn manhood right. from somebody else. And Ian gets that opportunity to do that from his brother, which I think is really beautiful. And I think vice versa, you kind of see the difference for Barley. The reason maybe Barley isn't quite as together as he might be is because he's been playing a, a, a fatherly role to his brother, but at the same time, he hasn't necessarily had anybody pouring that manhood into him. And so I, I just, again, I think they play right. it really subtly there, but I think they do it so well to just show how important this really is in especially young boys' lives. And I'm glad that you mentioned especially the part about Barley not having necessarily matured yet, because I've actually seen that firsthand with a second cousin in my family that um, sometimes someone is thrust into this position of having to become like the father figure for their younger sibling. And then they don't really have the chance to grow up on their own. 
and just be a kid. And so it's kind of like Barley is still this perpetual kid because he hasn't learned that mm-hmm. yet about how to get past that. But I also like that it reminds you, uh, aside from that, to keep your inner child alive, I guess is what I also take from it, that Barley loves all of these things, but it's also because he wants to teach other people about it. And he wants his younger brother to do it with him. And he keeps trying to tell him like, no, it's not silly. Like it's based on real things. And then this is how Mm -hmm. they changed it a little bit to make it more interesting. But you can use this in your life. Well, and I think it, it, there's a beautiful mo uh, like you mentioning that just brings to mind, you know, Barley himself by him holding on to these um uh these more his- these historical things like he hasn't lost sight of the the, the things in which history can teach us right and he's mm-hmm. also looking back and asking that question we kind of asked a little bit is like are you missing something uh in the way that you're doing things um because you aren't remembering the past you you aren't You've you've maybe taken away something from yourself because you're doing things with the easy button, you know, um, and and so, you know, again, I'm not a Luddite. I'm just saying that there is an importance to to maybe um, seeing the the validity of of the past and not having a chronological snobbery and saying, oh, we're automatically better where we are now just because we're further along in time like that's that's right just dumb and unwise to say that kind of thing so mm-hmm. but yeah I, I completely agree that I, I think the most important part of this movie is how they talk about the relationship that the two of him, them each had with their father or didn't have how they were different you know that that you find out later that barley never said goodbye to his dad and that Ian didn't get the chance mm-hmm. to. And so how the two of them grapple with that. And then exactly like you said, okay, even if you can bring back your dad after all of this work, it's only for a day. Mm-hmm. And then it gets down to like, it's for a few minutes. Yeah. And you have to eventually accept that somebody is gone and you have to move on with your life. Yeah, I, I think the thing that I really appreciated was the way that their father's quest actually helps the boys transition from being boys into being men in many ways. And Mm -hmm. that even though he's not there, his legacy is still strong enough to impact his sons. And so I thought that was really beautiful um, because even from basically beyond the grave, this quest is the thing to which um, both boys are able to grow beyond some of their fears to over- overcome some of their weaknesses. And part of that is by learning to do things even more together than they have before. Um, but also to encourage each other because, you know, Barley obviously always believes in his brother. But what we see is that Ian actually really becomes somebody who can see the validity of who his brother is too. Um, and I think that's right. a really beautiful thing is f- for being able to see the uh, the beauty of who people are for who they are and not for who we maybe want them to be. So that was really, really cool. Right. Yeah, I think it's so painful when he basically admits through omission that Ian thinks his brother's a screw up. 
and uh, has to backtrack and then admit that he really did mean it and try to figure out how to change that. Um, and, and getting to the point where he eventually does see what role Barley has played in his life was really heartwarming because you're seeing him checking off this list, all of the things mm-hmm. he wished he could do with his dad and then learning, I already had all of these things right in front of me. Yeah. You know, somebody taught me how to drive. Somebody went for a walk with me. Somebody laughed with me, you know? And so I, I think it's so beautiful that they wrap it up in that mm-hmm. way. Like you've always had somebody looking out for you and a male role model and it was your brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, something that kind of stuck out to me too uh, when we're, uh, you know, looking at the story was the way in which both of the boys through this movie are able to learn what it means to sacrifice those you love. And Barley's the first one to do it because, you know, he sacrifices Guinevere allow them to continue on their journey. And then Ian is able to reciprocate that with sacrificing, you know, his time with their dad. So Barley gets the opportunity to say goodbye, the goodbye he never got. And to me, that was one of the most beautiful things in the movie because it just shows the importance of how true love is is not something that is is selfish it is sacrificial and so these boys kind of growing a little bit out of their selfishness uh especially ian kind of growing out of his selfishness of thinking everything's kind of about him oh woe is me and being able to you know basically see that man in some ways his brother had it harder than he did because he knew his dad you know and Mm -hmm. that knowing of his dad leaves a bigger hole in some ways. You know, for Ian, it's more about what was never there, but Barley has really filled that role. For Barley, it's about knowing what was there and now it's gone and there's nobody to fill that role for him. But he, I think also both of them then realized that the person that filled that role for Barley was their mom. In some ways, yeah. Yeah. And not to take anything about away from single mothers whatsoever, absolutely. But yeah, like I think that it's nice that they move past the family photos on the wall and really focus then on showing the mom always being there with the two of them and how, you know, she may have a boyfriend now, but he's not the central focus of her life. She still would drop everything and come to help her boys. And so I I like that it it does show in her way as well that through love for those in your life is sacrificial because she would drop all of the things she was doing, go work with the manticore to get the sword and go fight a dragon for them. Um, But yeah, I, I do like the parallel, like you're mentioning of what each of the boys sacrifice for each other. And that really, I guess the two big points of the entire movie are fathers and brothers and then sacrificial love. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that brings something to mind that when you're thinking about the sacrifice era, 
you know, it, it was interesting them working in the idea of, you know, the mom's boyfriend. And it was an interesting thing because the way that they handle it seemed to be, in, I don't know, it, it, somewhat stereotypical. You know, that the, the, the mom's boyfriend kind of sees the boys as maybe like he can't really find his in with them. And he kind of sees them more mm-hmm. of as like a pain in the butt than, you know, actual kids to be um gotten to know and to you know like and and two uh, to find a way to maybe be a guy that they could look up to like there just there seems to be a lack of that in in the movie a little bit and it, i don't know if it was um like and I, I mean, it has to be intentional for them to choose that. But I just thought it was interesting of mm-hmm. of and and maybe more than anything, maybe it's just the difficulty of what it means to be somebody like that in in the life of of a person that already has kids and they're not yours, right? You know, they those are not your right. kids, and so the difficulty of then how to interact with them is it's really tough. You know, so, um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's kind of part of it. So, yeah, I, I think it was intentional. I think that it's showing from both sides that it's difficult because I think the biggest part was that the boys had not let go of their dad mm-hmm. yet. So they couldn't accept having another male role model in their life because mm-hmm. yeah, they weren't ready point. for one or they were refusing one. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I think there was that. And then I think also just exactly what you're saying that anytime someone is coming into a family like that, where it's, you know, a spouse that lost their spouse and has kids already, it's going to be difficult Mm -hmm. because they're getting to know someone completely new and trying to work them into the group. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, I mean, that's definitely a good point um, on, on that. So uh, so we have some some great voice actors uh, and and great actors just in general. First, Tom Holland as uh, Ian. What did you end up thinking him as the 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 younger brother? I thought he was so adorable because I think Tom Holland, as we've seen him in Spider Man and everything, is so good at playing that awkward teen and still being able to play it off here and there at, like he's cool and everything mm-hmm. and so I think that he was the perfect choice to play this kind of character but it was funny because I did not know before seeing the movie about the voice cast oh, really? I really had wow. just seen yeah I, I guess we didn't talk about how he came into it but I, I had seen one preview for this movie and I didn't know who the voice cast was so I didn't immediately catch that that was even Tom Holland cool. so it great great job on his part then because he's also british <laughs> so he's really good at doing an american accent then yeah no i i i agree with you um i really enjoyed tom holland's voice acting in this movie one because he he did give him a, a more 16 year old feel and i thought that he he just brought a lot of emotion to the role um, for this young boy who's, you know, is trying to figure everything out, who feels so out of place, you know, like has such a hard time connecting with with others. And part of that is is in, in many ways, it felt like he just kind of feels so inadequate for everything. And he 
he wants to to be able to you know like live up to his dad and everything but the problem is is that he doesn't really know much about his dad because he's never met him and all of those things um he's got an older brother who's just kind of crazy uh and so i feel like in many ways he he's waiting for somebody to help him kind of find his way out of out of his shell and but he doesn't quite know how to do that and of course as we talked about earlier you you get them going on the journey which allows them um to kind of crack open each other basically uh and and find a new comfort level for themselves you know and uh throughout that ian is actually through the journey he gets the opportunity to know who he is, to know what he's connected to with his family, to know his connection with magic. And it gives him uh, a new sense of like uh, discovery, but it gives him a new sense of purpose. And like, and I think uh, again, Tom Holland just kind of brought all of that to life really well so that I bought every part of the journey for him. And so I, yeah, I really appreciated that. And I thought he did a great job. And I, you know, with Chris Pratt playing Barley, his brother, they just play off each other so well, and Chris Pratt's just so good uh, in this type of role because, in some ways, there's a little bit of like you know, a lot of the different type of of, of Chris Pratt characters that he's played, you know, um, whether it's Star Lord or you know, a little bit of Owen from um, Jurassic World in there, you know. Um, but again, Chris Pratt, I think he brings that um, emotion to the role that you really need so that like when he kind of like breaks down and talks about things you really buy it I, I love that yeah especially with him it's funny because when I first heard Barley's voice in the movie I was thinking that voice is so familiar <laughs> who is that I was thinking maybe it was Dan Fogler mm, yeah yeah uh, it, they have very similar voices sometimes, but yeah, it, um, so it, I kind of recognized it, but didn't know it was for sure Chris Pratt until I checked and, and then it was, but yeah, I think he's amazing at being able to do this larger than life, really pumping up that like old English vibe, uh, when he's speaking in this role and then being able to at the same time do the really emotional scenes, like talking about saying, not saying goodbye to his dad. Yeah. And Chris Pratt's really good at that deeper emotional side of characters. Like you and I have talked about um, the Passengers movie before and how he can really get across Mm -hmm. these huge life themes that people ponder about. Well, and the thing that I loved about the way that he plays the character and just the role in general for what it does, um, I thought it was really beautiful because he's the character who has always been believing in his brother and yet his brother just kind of hasn't really given him the time of day because he thought he's weird, you know, but he hasn't realized what his brother's belief has done for him. And it's that belief in him that allows him then to, you know, channel the magic that he has a connection to and all of that. And, then he again he's able to learn to reciprocate that belief in and appreciation for who his brother is in a way that he never thought possible and part of that i mean it all kind of starts with the fact that barley as a character 
loves his brother, has always been for him, and and is has been there to support him and believe in him, even when Ian didn't realize that's what he was doing. So I and and yeah. again, Chris Pratt just does that so well throughout the role, and I think him and Tom Holland just really play off each other very well. So and it and it's important because if they don't work together, this movie doesn't work. And so uh, you know the fact that they mm-hmm. they really I think gel perfectly as as these brothers makes sense. Yeah, I think so as well. And they apparently did behind the scenes occasionally work in the voice booths together. So they got that back and forth that you would expect between two people that are playing brothers. Um, and then, you know, they've worked together before on other projects. So I, I think it comes across really well in this also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how did you feel about, um, you know, their mother is uh, played by Julia Louise Dreyfus. Um, how, how did you feel about her mixing with these two boys i felt like she could have gotten a little bit more development i don't know about you but i i thought she was okay um i think julia is an incredible actress i've always loved her i've loved her since seinfeld um but i think that as a character they don't really give laurel that much in the beginning she really doesn't get to do much until um, she joins forces with the Manticore and then fights the dragon. Yeah, I will agree with you that I think you're you're right on um, about the the way that they deal with her character and 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 so you know it, the way we're introduced to her, you know, she's like working out and like you know she's the uh, yeah. <laughs> she's the, um, the she's channeling the warrior inside. Um, I did kind of like how some of that kind of comes out and like that motherly uh, protective rage is what like gets her through everything. Oh, yeah. And I really liked the way that her and Octavia Spencer play together. Um, she, who plays Corey, the manticore. I thought their back and forth was really fun. Uh, and so, uh, and you know, I, I think Julia really brought a, a sense of motherliness as we got further and further on into the movie towards that and, and and by the very end like she she brought everything to bear on just how much she loves her boys what she'll do for them like you were talking about earlier and the sacrifice that she's willing to sacrifice mm-hmm. anything for her family too and so this is a you know it's a beautiful family trait in that so um yeah i i really i thought she did a good job i'm like you though i think if they'd given her a bit more maybe to do that might have been nice but then again it's like the movie does a good job of focusing on what the focus is which is these two right. boys like it's that, not yeah, really her exactly. story yeah that's a good point yeah I, and i think you know you maybe couldn't give her a lot of extra time if you were going to continue to focus solely on the boy's story i just i don't know i think they could have shown us maybe at least a scene of her and their dad as a flashback you know, to when they had first gotten mm-hmm. married and had the boys and everything. Um, but aside from that, yeah, I, I get your point. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was uh, kind of wondering, um, and I didn't put this out of the outline, but, you know, it was interesting to me and because I wasn't sure what to expect with the, the soundtrack for the movie. But I thought mm-hmm. it was an interesting choice that uh, they have – the the soundtrack kind of play off the hair band metal the the, the metal hair bands you know like rock 
to go along with um, a, a lot of the, especially the action sequences. I thought that that yeah. actually worked for the movie. You know, when we're talking about this kind of like D and D, and you think about a lot of those old rock bands. Um, I mean, specifically, I'm thinking like Led Zeppelin, where a lot of their songs have massive Lord of the Rings references and stuff. So mm-hmm. I thought it was a kind of a good choice, and, and part of that too is obviously it fits so well with like Barley's character. Um, and so when yeah. you're riding around in his vehicle, and he pops, you know, his, you know. Uh, quest mix in i thought that was really fun yeah i think musically it was perfect choices for the kind of story they were telling and that it feels kind of like a a love letter to like the movie fanboys Mm -hmm. to this group of guys that are all really kind of nerdy and into stuff like D &D and star wars and ride around in this old van and it may not be much but it's got it where it counts and they love it anyway and had all of these references to the 80s and to hair metal and things like that that you're saying i i thought was great and it fits with the character of barley i mean he's got this vest on with all these patches and you know he's kind of a perpetual kid i thought it was great yeah i'm wondering for you uh, what then, you know, we've been talking about this for a while now. And so kind of where you are with your ratings for Onward. So for me, of course, the biggest thing that I was excited about that I loved about this whole movie was the lore behind it and the D&D references. And then, of course, the central story about the two brothers. It was a lot more of an emotional movie than I expected. And was really had meat to the story and not just fluff. So I I would give it a seven and a half out of 10 um, swords. I'm going to say, what was it called? Like the sword of Uh, the, 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 I don't remember. I don't remember. Anyway, it's like the the righteous sword. That's what we're going to call it. That sounds right. (laughs) (laughs) It's the only sword of its kind. Yeah. Oh, the price just went up. Um, (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, I kind of knew, I I thought I knew maybe what to expect, um, but I thought that this movie was just really cute. It was really fun. I enjoyed the themes in it. I loved the performances and I had a great time watching it. And um, the Pixar animation is beautiful. You know, I mean, it just continues to get better and better with every film. And so, yeah, I mean, for me, this is a, a four out of five uh, manticores. I think, um, there you, go. you know, it's a it's a fun movie to be able to take your kids to and just have a great time. If you don't have kids, it's still a really fun movie. You know, like yeah. I went and saw it with a bunch of adults and we all had a great time and laughed out loud, you know, and so. Um, yeah, this is this is a movie that's just it's a lot of fun. And, and part of that, I think, too, you know, sometimes, especially just I feel like in the world we're in, it's just so nice to go to the movies, enjoy a good story, have a great laugh, um, be reminded of some great important ideas and to be able to go home happy, you know, so it, and and Pixar mm-hmm. movies for the most part have been able to do that. So, um, yeah, this one definitely gets my recommend. And it's interesting because this year we have a whole other Pixar movie to discuss later on in the summer called Soul, which looks amazing and I can't wait to see. So, yeah. yeah. Christy, it is time for some recommendations. And if it's okay, I'm going to go first this week. 
You can do it. Okay, excellent. So uh, <laughs> I um, am the book reviewer over there at the Star Wars Reports website, where you also do Fashion and Five. And um, I got the uh, review copy for the Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker Expanded Edition novelization. And I have to say, I'm recommending it. Uh, now, it does not come out mm. until the 17th of March, but I'm recommending it. Um, that's my recommendation. So I encourage you um, to to go buy the book. I'm not going to give you any spoilers or anything, even though a lot of the internet has already done that for us. Um, but I'm saying it's worth reading, and it's definitely a recommend. Nice. Uh, yeah, I actually, this time, um, I'm going to recommend something a little bit different. I have not revealed on this show one of my favorite things in the entire world that I've done my whole life is baking. Actually, it's something that I've done with my family in particular um, with my dad lately. And so I'm going to actually recommend a show that my niece turned me on to called Zumbo's Just Desserts. Don't watch it if you're hungry. Because nice. it will make you want dessert. <laughs> um, but, you know, it is a reality show and it's a, you know, a baking competition or confection competition because it can't just be baking. Um, but it's really cool because Zumbo is famous for doing uh, out of the box ideas with his desserts. So these are things that have like dry ice and, oh, um, wow. you know, yeah, like a, a macaron tower and... Um, like a surprise chocolate ball that melts to reveal a cake inside. Oh my it's goodness. really cool. Wow. Yeah, I highly awesome. recommend it. So maybe I'll make one one day. Well, I, and then you should definitely put on social media. So Christy, if, uh, you know, people want to catch up with you as you try one of these delicacies, uh, to create one yourself, where can people find you? You can find me making my desserts and so much more on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Bespin Bell. And then I do a couple of other shows when I'm not here on the 602 Club. I am on a show called Sabres and Spells with my good friend Teresa Delgado. And we actually just recorded our episode that's going to be coming out this week um, about our spells part of our name, how we got into Harry Potter and how it's one of our biggest fandoms. So uh, you guys will definitely want to hear that. And then I do a show called Planet Leia on the Fanthatrax Network with five other women from around the world talking about Star Wars. And lastly, I am doing a show on the Star Wars Report, I'm a little behind, uh, called Fashion in Five, which I do a five-minute segment about men's and women's Star Wars fashion. Awesome. Um, you could find me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox Vero under the name Matt Rushing Zero Two. Um, I'm here on the network doing The Orb with Chris Jones, talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And in fact, Chris Jones and I just got a chance to record in the Ready Room where we talk about the uh, first five episodes of Star Trek Picard. So that's really fun. You can check that out as well. Uh, I am on the Nerd Party Network. I do two shows. One's called Owl Post with Drea Kaufman as we talk about Harry Potter each and every week. But we're doing that one chapter at a time through the book series. And so we are in the Half-Blood Prince right now. It's so much fun. It's kind of an evergreen show. You can listen to it anytime and catch up whenever. So... Definitely check that out. 
Uh, I do aggressive negotiations with John Mills as we talk about Star Wars every week. There's always so much to talk about with Star Wars these days with so much coming out. And uh, we just have a blast getting together to talk about a Star Wars topic. And then last but not least, I'm doing cinema stories with my good friend Courtney. And there we are talking about films, both through the ones of faith. So thank you, everybody, so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Thank you.